Today I'm going to teach and preach about child training. Now don't say, okay, I'm past that stage. I've gotten out of that hurricane, that storm, and check out on me, okay? Your children may be trained and reared, but God has something for you in this message. You may be a grandparent. You may be a mentor to someone here, but God certainly wants us to know his truth in every area of the scripture. So today we're talking about child training. You know, I don't know of any parent or pastor for that matter, but any parent that would say, boy, when it comes to raising kids, we nailed it. I don't know of anybody. I haven't heard anybody say that. Or, man, no mistakes, no regrets. We did it by the book, God's book, and they've turned out perfectly. No conflict. I, I don't think anybody would say that. I like to say when it comes to parenting, we're old too soon and smart too late. You know, by the time you really learn your job, you're unemployed, you know. You're unemployed when it comes to child rearing. The Bible has a lot to say about child rearing. And we're going to look at what I would consider a master verse here this morning. Ephesians chapter 6. Would you turn there with me? A lot of passages in the Bible deal with parenting principles. But Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, we're looking at one verse, provides kind of a master outline, master guidelines for our job as parents. Let's read the verse. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. And it says, And you fathers, and I'll explain that. It does say fathers, but it's much broader than that. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training, or some of your Bibles may say nurture and admonition of the Lord. Okay? I'm going to talk today, kind of dividing up my thoughts into two problems parents will face, and then two priorities parents must accept. Let's talk about the two problems first. First, external pressure comes from society. There's pressure put on parents to not raise their children in a biblical fashion. There's pressure put on you from all aspects of society. It may be school. It may be what they watch on TV. It may be from other parents. It may be from friends. There's a lot of external pressure that comes from our society. Let me give you a very current example. Most of us are very familiar with Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter has turned our nation and burned up several of our major inner cities. But they had on their website, and I can quote from it, Black Lives Matter had on their website to disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. They said on their website, one of our goals, one of our vision statements is to destroy, disrupt the nuclear family. We don't want the nuclear family because if you can break down the family, you break down society, you break down the nation, and you can usher in a whole new style of government, which is very clearly one of their goal. Now, they took that down just recently because of the public backlash against them. We're familiar with Black Lives Matter. Many of you have heard of the National Council on Family Relations. Matter of fact, your tax dollars support it. Just this week, they had a seminar. The National Council on Family Relations hosted a seminar. This is the title, Towards Dismantling Family Privilege and White Supremacy. We've heard a lot about that. 
towards dismantling the family privilege and white supremacy. According to their researchers, the structures in public life in the United States advantage the nuclear family. We all understand what the nuclear family is. A husband and wife committed in marriage, raising children. That's the definition of a nuclear family. And they said the structure in America advantages the nuclear family and disadvantages the non-nuclear family. It might be the single mom or single dad. It might be a homosexual marriage. It could be any combination of all kinds of things. They say the implicit advantages the nuclear family and disadvantages other family arrangement. And these scholars, I looked at them last night, this is an example of privilege that's rooted in white supremacy. Families with a married mom and dad raising children, I think everyone in the room should know their children fare better. Matter of fact, the National Council on Family Relationship admit that. Children don't commit as many crimes. They do better in school. They're emotionally better off. They don't go to prison at the same rate. But they're trying to dismantle it. So I'm saying to you, to all of us here today, there is external pressure from our society, our culture, against the family as God prescribes it in the Bible. Let's recognize that. Neil Postman, the late professor of communication at New York University, who wrote the book, The Disappearance of Childhood, states that childhood is disappearing in our country. He mentions that clothing used to be different from children. Now, children's clothing is just like adult clothing, but in a smaller size. Children used to invent their own games over expression of their childhood imagination. Now they play solo electronic games. Historically, children were viewed as innocent and needed protection, but that innocence is being lost. Now, this statistic blew me out of the water. Since the 1950s, crimes committed by children, that's 14 and younger, have risen 8,300% in the last 70 years. Crimes committed by children, 14 and under, have risen by 8,300%. That's largely due to our society and what they view what they see. In the U.S., girls as young as 12 and 13 are having children, giving birth to babies, and even 10-year-olds are now struggling with drug and alcohol problems in school. So we recognize our society isn't helping us on the way to raising a family and especially to raising a godly family. So number one, I'm talking about two problems parents face, external pressure from society. Number two, internal pressure from sin. Internal pressure from sin. There is none who seeks after God. There is none who does good. Not even one, Romans chapter 3, verses 11, 12. Now that sounds kind of harsh. There's none that seek after God. There's no one that does good. But the Bible is saying that the natural bent of human beings from the time that they are born is away from God and to commit sin. And that's true. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who doesn't know it? The Bible tells us. When we hear of mass murderers, we hear a lot of those. Or we hear about pedophiles, there's a lot of those, or violent criminals. We have a tendency to ask, I did this, you probably have too. What did their parents do to them when they were kids 
that would make them become a pedophile? What did their parents do to them that would make them become a mass murderer or commit such violent crimes? Sometimes there is a direct correlation. We're not going to deny that. They were abused or whatever. Sometimes there's a direct correlation. But the issue isn't so much what their parents did do. And now we're coming to our text. But what their parents didn't do. They turned out that way. Yes, there might have been some things wrong in the home. But because they didn't do some things. They didn't do the very things that we're going to talk about from this passage of Scripture this morning. Proverbs 22.15 says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Foolishness, sin, rebellion are in the heart of a child as a result of the fall. But parents are to admonish and discipline them. Admonish means to teach. Discipline, we all understand that. It's the, the corrective measures. Sometimes kids turn out to be extremely bad in society because their parents didn't do the job that God has called them to do. A parent is to help them reject what is wrong and choose what is right. I hope this is a very accurate statement. I believe it is. It's my statement, so I hope it's accurate. Psychology and society says the problem is outside of you. You didn't get a good education or you grew up in a bad home, or you were disadvantaged, or you were racially profiled, whatever. Society or psychology says the problem is outside of you, and the answer is inside of you. You just got to find yourself. You got to follow your heart, and then everything will be good. That's not what the Bible says. I say it this way. Christianity says the problem is inside of you, and it is. The problem is inside of us. It's called a sin nature. It's called a propensity to sin. The problem is inside of you, and the answer is outside of you. That's salvation. That's through the revelation of God's Word. That's how we solve the problem. It's being saved. Our, help our children solve the problem. is getting saved and then studying God's revelation. We come at it from different perspectives. Society, psychology versus Christianity. We're going to come at it from different perspectives. Christianity doesn't teach behavioral modification. Don't touch that. Don't go there. You get a spanking and all that kind of thing. Christianity really doesn't teach behavioral modification, but progressive sanctification. The child comes to Christ, grows in his Christian experience, and he learns to do what's right. It's his will not the external things that are, that are guiding him. It is the will and the Holy Spirit that is guiding him based upon the Word of God. So we're not into behavioral modification. Now, you may have young children. You say, yeah, I'm into behavioral modification. <laughs> I'm really into it. Well, that's temporary. But really, the answer is not behavioral modification. It is spiritual or biblical sanctification, getting them to Christ and helping them grow so they're making right decisions on their own. So as parents, your focus should be to lead your children to Christ and help them become continually transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ. Now look at our verse here, Ephesians 6, 4. It says, and you fathers. And of course, the father is the head of the home. So the bulk of the responsibility falls to fathers. 
Dad, you can't say I delegate that to my all discipline, all teaching that goes to her. You can't do that. Or you're neglecting your duty before God. Now the word fathers is a Greek word pateras, which is often in the New Testament used to refer to parents. Understanding that the father is the head of the home, but he is working with his wife in tandem with his wife, the mother of the home, to accomplish God's will in child training. So we can't say, women can't step back and say, well, it's a husband's responsibility, it's a father's responsibility, because the Bible is telling us it's both parents' responsibility. We can't delegate it away. It speaks to both parents. Look at the verse. Here we find a dual imperative, we could say. One is a negative command, and it's paired with a positive command. And what's the negative? It says fathers are not to provoke their children. We all understand what provoking. You can provoke the dog under the porch or whatever. You can provoke your children. It means to quench their spirit, to anger them, to make them want to leave. To, you can do things that make them uh, get frustrated. And he's saying, parents, parents, don't provoke your children. That's the negative command. And I'm not going to spend any time on that other than to mention a few things. How can parents provoke their children? Well, we're probably all guilty of several of these. By showing favoritism. You don't feel like you're loved as much as the sibling in your home by showing favoritism. Maybe one child's a little more compliant, so it's easy to love them or it's easy to do things for them. They're more obedient, whatever. We can provoke them by showing favoritism. Number two, by having unrealistic goals. Yesterday I was out working in my yard planting some daylilies, and there was a father down two houses down, playing catch with his son. And really, he's a young kid. Kid couldn't do anything right. You're not holding your hands right. Throw, you're throwing it like a girl. You know, it's just everything. Even just being critical. The kid is a kid. He's not a high school kid. He's not a college baseball player. He's a kid throwing a ball for one of the first times it looked like. Couldn't catch it and he couldn't throw it. Sometimes parents set unrealistic goals for their young children that frustrate them, that provoke them, this very thing that the Bible is saying. And through discouragement is another way. They just can't please their parents. And you make discouraging statements to them all the time. Not corrective, discouraging statements. Or permitting overindulgence. Allowing them to become a couch potato. Allowing them too much video time or internet time or not being active and, and eating the wrong foods and, and having a junk diet, overindulging their desires so you can't say no to them, you're provoking your children. Abusive words, belittling them, calling them stupid, helpless, like a child, your little girl. Abusive words, harsh discipline, spanking, yes, but beyond spanking, harsh discipline. There's many ways, and that's just a sampling of things that I wrote down, of ways that you can provoke your children to wrath. So there's the negative command. He says, don't do that. Don't do any of those things and many more things. Don't provoke your children to wrath. But 
Instead, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Training involves two key components, and they are, we would say them today, controlling and teaching. That's what the two words are. You have to control your children, and then you have to teach your children. And they're going on synonymously, but controlling in the early years and then teaching it more in the later years. Or Let's talk about that. Two priorities parents must accept, that you have to control your children. Now, let me just ask you, young parents here today, we had a number of folks that had their children dedicated. It's really a parent dedication. Are you controlling your children? Controlling. This first term is sometimes translated nurture and discipline. It's the same word translated different ways, but it's nurture or discipline. The second term, admonition, describes teaching. Teaching, controlling. Nurture or discipline and admonition is the words, are the words. In the early years of a child's life, parents must control them so they eventually learn self-control. We control our children so they learn Self-control. You've heard me say, if I'm self-disciplined today, it was because there was enforced discipline in my life in my early years. Some people didn't grow up in a home where there was enforced discipline, and they struggle with self-discipline. Maybe not, they didn't really get self-discipline until they were in the army. And then they learned self-discipline. Self-discipline comes about as a result of enforced discipline in early life. And a child that's undisciplined is like a city broken down without walls, the Bible says. Very, very vulnerable. In early years of child's life, parents must control them so they learn self-control. Control describes 0 to 12. I'm going to show you a chart here at the end. We're talking about 0 to 12, and then we call that childhood, and then youth is 13 to 21. 21, their legal age. Childhood and youthfulness. Control is the major emphasis in those first 12 years. That doesn't mean control starts up high when they're born and it, and, it, and it ebbs down over time. You have less and less control over your child as he gets older, and that's right. Teaching is very low when they're little because they don't understand something, but it increases all the way until they leave the home. Maybe it's 20, 21, 18, whatever it is. Those two cross. Control is decreasing Teaching is increasing as the child grows in age. Teaching or admonishment corresponds to the youth stage, teenage years, as we would say. A child must be told what to do. A youth needs to be taught why we do it. There's a difference. As a child, they're told what to do or what not to do. In youth, they're taught why we do it, the reason behind the rule. Rules without reason equals rebellion, we say. Rules without reason equals rebellion. Children need to know, especially as they grow older, why we do what we do. In this first stage, 0 to 12, we would say, a child's impulsiveness and immaturity needs constant restraint because that's how they come into the world. They're impulsive. They're immature. So it needs constant restraint. I'm not telling any parents here anything that you don't know. Parents exercise control over their child, not because they're bigger or not because they're smarter, because it's their God-given mandate. God gave those children to you so you would control them, so you would teach them self-control. 
That's your job. Not just because you can, you can exercise your will over them, but because it's your duty before God. Teaching cannot take place in that second phase. Teaching cannot take place in the second phase unless the child respects their parents' position of authority and their right to teach them. That's why... In many public school classroom situations, there's not much learning going on because there's not classroom discipline, and without classroom discipline, teaching cannot take place. And teaching doesn't take place unless we respect the person. How do we respect the person? Well, they establish authority. We can all think of maybe poor examples of that, but in the home, the parent establishes their authority and their right to teach the child. No one accepts instruction from someone they don't respect. We don't accept instruction from people we don't respect. We might listen to it, but we don't really accept it and own it. Third, external controls that parents place upon their child, external controls forces the child to comply and to learn to obey. Now, we're just talking about two words primarily this morning. Controlling and teaching. External controls, the controls that you put on your child, teach them to obey so they can later learn. This obedience should begin to result in willing submission rather than forced compliance. That's the goal. Not just forced compliance. It's willing submission. We want to reach the heart of the child. We want them to respect us so that they want to listen to us, that they realize we have their best interest in mind. We want willing submission, not you will do what I say or I'll beat you down. We want to reach willing submission rather than forced compliance. As the child grows into the youth stage of life, he begins to experience the benefit of self-control. The benefit of self-control over the destructive desires of his sin nature because his sin nature is going to lead him off in a way that will destroy him or hurt him. But he begins to realize, I don't have to go that way. I have self-control. My parents taught me self-control. I've learned the scriptures about the fruit of the Spirit or the virtues that Peter talks about in the Christian life. So I don't have to go that road I can go the road God wants me to do, which is the road that leads to blessing, long life and health, etc., prosperity. That would include a view on many different areas. You helping them learn self-control helps them learn the proper aspects of diet, the importance of exercise, choice and entertainment choices in their friends, the importance of work, the value of education, and it results in a healthy self-esteem. It results in success in the future. And that comes about because in that zero to 12 age of life, you've taught them control. You've controlled them. They've learned self-control. They've learned to be self-disciplined so they can learn. Well, let's go to the next stage. We've talked about controlling, and I'm trying to move here. Second is teaching. That's the second word that's used here. First word is controlling, discipline, nurture, meaning controlling. The second word is admonition or teaching. 
The final objective of child training is not to control a child. Well, we kept them under wraps until they left the house. That's not the goal. Keeping them locked up. We've all heard of parents that abuse their children by doing that, chaining them to their beds. There have been many examples of that in the media. The final objective of child training is not to control the child, but to teach them what is right so they will control themselves. Parents should not act as their child's external control any longer than necessary. You get what I'm saying? A parent shouldn't act as the external control any longer than necessary. Your desire should be to get rid of the external controls as soon as possible. If you're waking your kid up and he's in high school and saying, get up, you got to go to school. Something is wrong. Occasionally, maybe that happens, okay? But they should by that time realize, I got to go to school. I got to get an education, etc. They're taught. They're in control of themselves. You don't want to have those external controls any longer than necessary. In fact, as the child grows, controls are relaxed and teaching is increased. Remember, control starts here at zero and it decreases down as time goes on. Teaching is very low when the child is born because he can't understand, but it increases over time. And you know what? If a parent does that right, if a parent does that right, he doesn't have to control his child, but he's teaching his child even well into adulthood, they're calling and saying, Dad, what do you think I should do? Mom, what would you do in this situation? They're continuing to influence. They're continuing to teach because they have established authority and respect in the home. Controls left in place too long provoke the young person. The very word that's used here in this verse. Controls that are too strict and left in place too long provoke the young person, often causing them to rebel. As they get older, they should have more freedoms because they're making right choices. They have more liberties because they demonstrated maturity. But if a parent that clamps down and never loosens up and never allows their child to have more freedoms and more liberties because of their maturity is going to what? Cause their child to become provoked and angry at their parents, and rebel towards their parents. So parents are to teach their children proper conduct. That ranges from anything from manners to morality. Have you had the morality talk with your kids? Have you talked to them about manners and everything in between those two? That kind of thing? It's your job. It's not our job here at the church. It's not their job at school. It's your job as parents. God's Word is the only reliable foundation for their instruction. That doesn't mean that they don't learn things outside of the Word of God, but the Bible is the foundation from which all other things are built upon, and if it doesn't line up with the Scripture, it's skewed. It's, it's kicked out of the, the learning process. It's rejected in the learning process. But it's the Word of God that is the foundation. So your job, not just Cubbies, not just Awana, not just youth group, your job is to be teaching them the Word of God, having devotions with them, praying with them, reading the Word of God to them. A child emerging from the childhood into the youth stage must understand that he will be controlled 
until he demonstrates obedience and respect. Till you can demonstrate obedience and respect, you're going to be under control because you're acting immaturely, so I have to leave you in this stage until you demonstrate that you're respectful and obedient. Parents should realize they have something of great value. So let me say to you, even those of us who grew up in an unsaved home, I wasn't saved until I was in college. But parents, even unsaved parents, have great value to their children because they have experience. They've learned some lessons the hard way. Sometimes life is a difficult teacher and it it makes an impact and an imprint upon us of what not to do. Parents, I want to say to you, you have great value to your kids, to your children, the benefit of experience. Don't neglect that experience that God has given to you. They don't have experience. They don't have knowledge. They're gaining it, and they're going to gain it primarily from you. To inculcate standards and values into a child is not brainwashing them. Let me park there for just a moment. Inculcating biblical standards or biblical values is not brainwashing a child. We, we sometimes hear that. That's not brainwashing. That's indoctrinating. That's training, as the Bible says. Brainwashing is programming or indoctrinating a child by bypassing their will. That's not what we're doing. We want them to surrender their will. We want them to submit their will to God, to their parents. We're not bypassing their will the way, you know, some Russian uh, concentration camp would do. So brainwashing or programming indoctrinating a child, bypassing their will, it's an evil technique that usually backfires in the end. So proper teaching, talked about controlling, teaching. Proper teaching requires explanation and substantiation of the facts. The Word of God, other facts. It isn't because I said so. That's not teaching. That's authoritarianism. Proper teaching requires explanation. That happens in the youth stage more and more. It happens in the childhood stage, but more and more in the youth stage. Substantiation for what is right. There must be reasoning that convinces the mind and appeals to the will of the young person. Convinces the mind and it appeals to their will. Well, I see the value of this. It's in my own best interest to do this, as my parents have suggested. Parents have to give sensible reasons for their standards and their guidelines based upon Scripture and life experience. So that means a lot of talking goes on. A lot of communication, a lot of conversation goes on because you're teaching them. As the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, when you're going in the way, when you're sitting down to a meal, when you're in the field, wherever it is, you're teaching them all the time your values, your standards, hopefully that are biblical and God-honoring. Parents, we get one shot at this. We get one shot. When I see young parents with young children, I always say to them, most of you have heard me say, you're in one of the greatest times of all of life. It's a wonderful time of life. And they're thinking, we're broke, 
the kids are going crazy. Why are you saying that? <laughs> it's one of the greatest times of life, and most of us who are older would love to go back to that with our experience. That's why I say, by the time you finally learn your job, you're unemployed. You know, like we say, by the time your face clears up, your hair falls out. <laughs> so enjoy it, but don't neglect the scriptures. It's the closest thing that we have. This right here is the closest thing that we have to a parenting manual. Every car I buy, I get a manual. Had a child, had another one, had another one. Didn't get a manual, but I do have one. It's the Bible. Ask God for grace, asking for wisdom. So we're going to put a, a little table up here. If uh, you can do that, Josh, on child training. This just summarizes, I think, everything I've tried to say here this morning. Those are the two words in Ephesians 6, 4, controlling and teaching. 0 to 12, the childhood stage. 13 to 21, the youth stage. The emphasis is obedience in controlling stage, respect in the teaching stage. In the controlling stage, we have external controls. In the youth stage, we have internal controls, teaching them. The emphasis here is what to do and what not to do. Here it's why to do it, the reason behind the rules, the reason behind the standards, the reason behind what we've taught them. This is forced compliance that's willing compliance because they respect their parent. They value their wisdom. They respect their experience. And so they want to listen. So as a child grows into adulthood, we understand control goes down, teaching goes up all along the way, and they crisscross. Hope it's been helpful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Word of God. The longer we study it, the more we get into it, we know we have everything that we need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus and in His Word. Help these young parents. They face challenges that those of us who were parents some years ago, or still are parents, but raising our children some years ago, we didn't face. Help them. Help them to realize what a big job they have. May they run to you for grace and wisdom. May they steep themselves in the Word of God. May you bless their homes and their families. In Jesus' name, amen.